0: Here we are now with another episode of the Andrew Lake Podcast. If you are a regular listener of the Andrew Lake Podcast, please share your favorite episode, as this will help me find my audience. It will help to find the people who are ready to hear what we are talking about here. And today, I'd like to talk about my favorite Osho parable, and we can discuss it, and I'll tell it to you. And this is a story that really resonated with me. I mean, there are many things that I've heard Osho talk about, many stories, many parables, all sorts of things that have resonated greatly with me. But this is one of my favorite, if not my most favorite. And it's a story that he tells in response to one of his questions from his followers. Now, at certain times, you have to imagine that there were people going to live with Osho in his commune. And there are many different forms throughout the life of Osho of what that looks like. And at some times, there was a lot of controversy. There was a lot of conflict. There was a lot of cultural upheaval around his commune. And there was also, at a certain time, the Jim Jones cult. And that resulted in a mass suicide. So there were a lot of people that were worried about the Osho cult. And Osho as a cult leader. And of course there were many things in the media all around the world, many journalists saying all sorts of things and all sorts of people saying about all sorts of experiences that they've had there. And people would go and they'd live with Osho. And you have to imagine that there'd be certain times when he'd be giving discourses and he would be answering their questions. So that's the sort of background with which this parable is told. That's what's sort of going on and the time and place of what it's like for this story, this parable that Osho tells. And this question comes from someone who's living on the commune, living in the commune, and he's not not quite a follower of Osho. He's not a full sannyasin. He hasn't committed to that. So he says to Osho, more or less, that he's here and he's feeling beautiful things and there are good things going on and he is considering becoming a follower and yet there is a great mistrust in Osho. And the questioner asks... Why do I mistrust you so much? Why is there something in me saying so badly to not follow this man, to not do what he says? And in response to this, Osho tells a story. He tells a parable. And the story is of a time long ago in a civilization long forgotten. And it's about a book. And the book contained an important piece of information. It's a very rare piece of information, a very highly prized piece of information. And the information was how to find the elixir of life. How to find the thing that is the jewel of existence. The thing that can bring you everlasting wealth. And there was a war. And the library in which this book was kept was attacked. And one of the monks was lucky enough to save this book from the burning of that library. And that was the one book that that monk took with him out of that library to save that precious piece of information. And the years went past and things deteriorated more and the monk also lost his possession of the book. Until one day, it was stumbled upon by a peasant. And the peasant was lucky enough to realize that this book held a valuable piece of information. The peasant found the secret to the Elixir of Life. And the information was that, well, the Elixir of Life is actually a stone. And it's a stone that is hidden in amongst all the other stones by the side of a special lake. And the way to find the stone is to Notice how it's different from all the others. And this was the secret piece of information. This was the crucial piece of information that the peasant learnt. And the difference was that that stone was warm. So the peasant decided that he would sell all his possessions and he would go off on his journey to find this lake, which he did. And he set himself up there to live and find this magic stone. And he set to work, because he realized, well, there were a lot of stones. There were thousands of stones all around the edge of this lake. And he'd pick one up, and he'd see if it was warm, and it would be cold. And then, to make sure that he wasn't picking up the same one again and again, what he would do is he threw it into the lake. And he did this again and again, day after day, week after week, month after month. It turned into years, year after year. And every day that peasant would be walking along the side of the lake, picking up a stone, seeing if it's warm, throwing it into the lake. Picking up a stone, feeling if it's warm, throwing it into the lake. Picking up a stone, feeling it, throwing it into the lake. And just imagine the repetitive nature of over and over of doing this. Picking it up, feeling it, throwing it into the lake. Picking it up, feeling it again, throwing it into the lake. Until one day, one critical day, in one moment... The peasant found the stone. And he picked it up, felt it, and threw it into the lake. And that is just what people do. They become habituated. They become so used to the patterns that they have, that when they do find a warm stone, they treat it as all the others. And of course, the correlation of the parable is that, well, when you find a warm person, you become mistrusting still, because of all the people that have done things to you to... Cause mistrust in your life, and of course, it was quite a, a a lucky piece of thing that the peasant even knew at all about this stone. It was quite a freak occurrence, a strange synchronicity that this information would come to this peasant. Even that, in and of itself, is rare even that in and of itself says how unlikely it is that someone would know how important it is to trust, how to recognize someone warm. And just imagine it. Every time you meet someone, you just throw them away. And for so many times, good reason, for so often good reason... And the tragedy is when you do meet someone warm. You do meet someone with a compassionate heart. You do meet someone with noble intentions, pure intentions. Someone who just wants to help. Someone who really just wants the best for you. Someone who's got an extremely important message that can change your life. A story that can change everything that they want to tell you. Lessons. Insights. Wisdom. Knowledge. Well, you're so used to the people that are hurtful to you. So used to the people that you shouldn't trust. So used to the people that don't have all those beautiful things. But you just throw them away. And of course, Osho tells this parable to the person who's asked the question. And he says, actually, the feeling that you don't trust me is a good thing. Because it means that you're starting to see that trust is important. Most of the time, trust isn't even a prevalent thing, I say. It's a Thing you don't really even get in touch with because you don't have that sense with someone. You don't have that sort of connection with someone. There's no relationship like that. There's no interaction that would involve some sort of trust. Now, of course, all things arise arise in dualities. They arrive they arise in opposites. So to be getting a sense of mistrust is actually quite right. And Osho is quite right to be saying that there's something very important about re-establishing a sense of mistrust, because it means you can open to trust. And that story really resonated with me. It's really stayed with me. I can't remember which series it's in. It's one of his discourse series and there are many osho parables like that and now i'd like to i'd like to share a little bit of my own story which i've been thinking about in relation to this it sort of goes with this very well and it can help to expand exactly what we're talking about so you can get a sense of what it means to trust someone and to be open to someone, and to listen to someone, and to actually believe again that someone has your best interests at heart. And this happened, well, this is sort of a story that happened to me, or a story that was told to me, actually when I was living at the Osho International Meditation Resort. So, very different times to the times when Osho was in his commune, and it's a different place, really, because so much has changed. And of course, you know, Osho's no longer in the body, as they say. And the whole thing is really a totally different thing. For For one, it's a meditation resort. It's not an ashram, and it's not a commune. So that's a very big difference, just in and of itself. But I was living there, and I was meeting lots of people, and I was learning so much, and I was... Of course, doing all the meditation techniques and doing a whole bunch of groups and awareness intensives and all these incredible things which I've talked about before. But that's the sort of background of where this story happened, where this little sort of thing that was told to me or happened to me occurred. And it's a very sort of benign sort of story, really. It's a very simple sort of story. But I was sitting in the cafeteria with my friend one day and there were other people sitting around and we were sort of just chatting and talking and swapping stories and talking about, you know, how it is to be in a place like that and sort of the ins and outs of some of the things that goes on. My friend started telling me, she tells me of this little incident that she had the other day. I was quite curious, really. And the story goes that she was At lunch, and she was getting her food, and she saw someone trying to get one of the coconuts. Now, in India, coconuts are great. Fresh, straight off the tree, chop off the top, and you get that real beautiful milk inside. And it was very common on those scorching hot summers for people to have coconuts. And they were pretty much always available at the cafeteria. So my friend was at the cafeteria, she says, and someone was trying to get one of the coconuts and she was putting it on her plate and it kept falling over. I mean, kept She couldn't work out like how to balance it because the top had already been chopped off so she had to keep it upright to stop it from spilling. And my friend said, look, if you get one of these little cups, you can put it under and it will sit perfectly on there. And that's what most people do. That's the basic way that you can actually have a coconut. But this lady who was trying to get the coconut was sort of gave her a smirk or a sort of dirty look and then walked off in a huff. And then that was the end of it. My friend was sort of just thinking, oh, well, right, okay, I tried to help you with your coconut, but it didn't work, so okay, no problem. But then she said, three days later, this same woman came up to her with a napkin and on the napkin was a huge this thing written out and my friend sat down turned over the napkin to read to the coconut police and of course at this point everyone at the table burst with laughter <laughs> my friend was telling this story and we all just knew. My goodness, that is the punchline. <laughs> and we didn't need to read any more. She didn't need to tell us. She didn't need to tell us what was on the napkin. She didn't need to tell us what was written. It was already said, just in the opening lines. And we thought, my goodness. And you know, someone else was there, and they said after telling this story that it's just amazing how much mind fucking there is. And that's really what it is. It's mind-fucking. What a waste of a life. Three days. For three days that has been going around and around in that woman's head. And my friend who told that story was just trying to help. And it was something so small. Something so simple as how to put your coconut on your lunch tray. And we did laugh. It was a quite a funny story, particularly in the way that my friend told it. She told it so well because, well, she's a good speaker. She knows a lot of good stories. And in one sense, it was funny. But then also in another sense, it wasn't funny. In another sense, it was actually quite tragic. It was quite sad. And there was something quite... There was something quite unsettling in me after, just a moment after we laughed at that story, there was something, something quite disturbing, something, well, in so many ways deeply uncomfortable, deeply unsettling. And I thought like, wow, is, is that what happens? Someone tries to help you and you just have this instant rough image of that person, And you start projecting neuroses. You start projecting frustration. You start feeling insulted. And it goes around and around and around in your head for days and days and days. Until you finally pluck up the courage to actually do something about your neuroses. And then you do it and you look like a complete idiot to everyone else. And it has absolutely no, no consequence at all. No consequence at all. And I think, my goodness. Now I think. Look at the controversy around Osho. Look at what Osho was actually offering. Now, he wasn't helping people with how to put their coconut on their lunch tray. He was actually helping people with how to transform their consciousness their very life, their very sense of existence. And I think, well, no wonder there was so much blowback. No wonder there was so much controversy. No wonder there was so much resistance, so much mistrust. Because if you can have someone have three days worth of mind-fucking over you and a note on a napkin just because of a coconut on a lunch tray. Well, imagine what's going to happen over shifts in consciousness, shifts in awareness, expanding perception, knowledge, insight, existential truth, ultimate truth, meditation, the dissolving of belief systems. It's staggering. It's staggering to think. And the question is, at the end of the day, the real take-home question is, who are you in that story? Which part do you play? Does this really happen to be something that you can see and understand? Can you really see how you have a very personal and very real role to play. Because you are one of the people in these stories. You are one of the characters. And I've explained it to you here, so you have no excuse now. It really is up to you to see that it's your choice. And of course, in many ways, I've been lucky to be able to see neurotic patterns from a different side, from a different view. And I've been very lucky to see these stories and have certain things explained to me. And of course, I've struggled with it too. But there still is so much mess. There is still so much tangle. And it's not just a matter of putting down those people. We can't just talk around stupidity with no real intention to help or make amends of things. You still always have to give people the chance to come out of their neuroses. You still always have to give people the chance to trust you. But really it does come down to A question of what part in that story you would be. So that's my favorite Osho parable and a little story of my own. And I sincerely hope you've enjoyed. I sincerely hope it's resonated with you as much as it has for me. And hope you have a beautiful day. Hope you're enjoying yourself. Remember to meditate. Have you done your meditation today? How are you going with your routine, daily routine? Don't forget about that. And I'll be back very soon with more. I'm going to keep doing what we're doing here. So thanks very much. And that's all I have to say for now.